Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to save you a little money on one of the worst days I've seen in my career. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me at Jim Kramer. Well, look, at least it's over. I'm talking about this miserable month of April where the Dow plunged more than 1,700 points, S&P plummeted 9%, and then the NASDAQ went down 13.3%. Worst month since 2008? Wow. Normally, April's a good month for the stock market. The last truly April I remember was like this, was in 2000, right after the dot-com peak. It was April 14 to 17. We had all this junk that had recently come public, more than 300 dot-com IPOs and their, and their relatives. And they dwindled to nothing. I mean, like nothing. Sounds a lot like the IPOs and SPAC purchases we had in the last couple of years, doesn't it? I mean, I, I guess people must have been thinking something. There was someone today saying, hey, look, Putin means what he's been saying, which obviously is bad. And there were other people who just said, just get me out. So today was a fitting coda to this month's relentless grind. And I've got to tell you, if you just look at today, Dow losing 939 points, S&P 156, look at this, 3.63, and then the NASDAQ. I mean, I would, I, at like 230, this thing was down 200 points, and it's down 4.17%. That's the definition of bad. This is a market where you can't get excited to buy anything. On, on, on anything on an update, we went over for the trust. I said, let's just buy one stock. I mean, I, I've, I just one stock. Let's pick at something. And you know why we didn't want to be more aggressive? Because once again, it was an old fang name. How the heck did I come up with that? That was good for about eight years. That blew us out of the water. And it was Amazon. And its weakness reverberated throughout the entire market. Hey, throw an apple saying that China's lockdown might cost them $48 billion in lost sales. And you had a real recipe for pain. Now, I get when Amazon's in the, in the, um, in, in the penalty box. That was not a good quarter. And I'm glad that we had sold a lot. But Apple's a different story. Uh, once again, I am saying it. Own it, don't trade it. That was a good quarter. And I spent enough time with Luca Maestri, who's the CFO, and Tim Cook, who's the CEO, yesterday to go through the numbers and know they were really great. And what I'm hoping that next week should be better. Now, look, I've got to tell you, I don't expect a good day Monday. 
When you have a really horrible day like today, sometimes you get a bounce, all right? Right in, you get a bounce. And what you've got to do is you must sell that bounce, all right? Because then you're going to get a better moment after Europe closes. Think about 11, 11, 30. Now, we do have a break. Fewer big companies are going to be reporting. That is going to allow us to catch our breath. This was in all the reporting periods that I've done. And remember, you can think about it. For a year of this week, and I've been in this business for more than 40 years, this was the hardest I've ever seen. Too many new companies, too many companies that were controversial. This next week will be a lot easier. Plus, we have Warren Buffett who's likely to favor us with some positive comments about a host of stocks and make us feel better. It's okay. You can watch them all day tomorrow on our network. That's what I'm going to do. Now, if I know anything about Buffett, he'll tell us to sell off as a buying opportunity, not a disaster in the making. You may think it's glib. You may think it's like, so what? He's rich. I'm not. But let's just listen, okay? And with that in mind, let's go to our game plan. And I'm going on companies that I think are going to be, remember, I don't want an up opening because you'll get crushed, okay? Like a You'll get crushed like one of those flies on a windshield outside of Tallahassee, where everywhere I went, I used my had to use the windshield wipers. Uh, since the peak in November, I've been saying you want profitable companies that make something real, return capital to shareholders, and have reasonably priced stocks. That's our mantra for the CMC Investing Club, which has its meaning, by the way, on Thursday. And this this time, I'm doing a little different. This time, you're going to see the completely tortured, stubborn raw side of me. This is not it, believe it or not. Anyway, my mantra has saved you a ton of money, which is why I love, what do I love? I love the oil companies. We own, we own so many oils for the trust. It's great. Massive variable dividends from Devon. From Devon. On Monday, we hear from the man who pioneered this new model of dividends. Not true. Hey, where else are you kind of too later on the show? You don't like it. Rick Moncrief, the CEO of Devon Energy, he'll explain how his company will continue to show great discipline, perhaps returning a dividend equal to 7%. Hey, by the way, that's better than your CD that you're running to or Treasury. Much better. Next, we're on the lookout for companies that have stalled and raising their prices because there may be too much capacity. A likely place? Mosaic, which makes fertilizer. We have a big deficit in what we're making down on the farm, even as the business is booming. If Mosaic sees pricing topping out, well, and I don't see it, by the way, but let's see, then Jay Powell might not have to raise interest rates as aggressively as he thought. Hey, by the way, hey, you could argue that Jay, without doing anything, has crushed the stock market, which is a major way that we have, that rich people spend money, and I'm cognizant of that, and he's getting the job done, and he didn't even do anything yet. All right. Now, we're also going to get the results of Clorox. They've had a couple of really awful quarters. Let's just call it as we see it. All right. Uh, The company doesn't need the blow away numbers this time. They just need to put up a decent one. All right. And that could send this tattered stock higher. They've got to do something with that supplements business. The supplements business is a lousy business. Tuesday morning, we start with Pfizer, which has made so much money for the pandemic that I hope they consider buying another drug company to make up for some looming patent expirations over the next few years. Jeez, hey, you see that stock today? I mean, this thing is getting crushed. Good yield, six times earnings. Now, here's the 39 times earnings ones. I like Estee Lauder. But the market has turned against it because it's too expensive. Even though it's like LVMH, they're betting the company's key Asian markets are going to be closed thanks to COVID. I'm betting with the CEO, Fabrizio Freire. He has tackled that problem. He's the best in the business. You want a former high flyer that I think can fly again? Remember this one, AMD, Lisa Sue? Yeah. Now, they just swallowed Xilinx, which is another semiconductor company, but in a lot of different lines of business. And they may very well report an upside, not that anybody cares. Given how far the semiconductor stock has fallen from its highs, though, 
even an inline quarter could send it flying. I am itching to tell you to buy the stock. We sold much higher in a down opening on Monday. We'll be frozen from doing so now because I just said this. We hear from Airbnb, too. And I think the strong travel data we've seen lately means that they'll have a decent set of numbers. Airbnb is one of the few real winners from a period where there weren't too many good stocks. I think it could tell a great story. But it's a very high-priced earnings multiple, so once again, it may not matter. After the close, Starbucks. Howard Schultz, back. This time focused on the workers, not you. I think this quarter would be rough no matter what, lockdown in China. But it'll hurt even more now that management feels the need to be able to say to the employees, you don't need a union, we'll take care of you. Wednesday morning, CVS help, uh, Health, uh, ever since they became a health company, I like that, uh, is going to be capitalizing on the COVID vaccine. I think a lot of people have rediscovered CVS. They like it, recognize it. I still can't use the scanners. Moderna, on the other hand, hasn't yet capitalized on anything. These guys have so much money from the COVID vaccine, but now they have to do something to broaden their portfolio. It can't be a one-trick pony. I wish we could take B-52s, fly over China, and drop Moderna. Next, we had a great number this week from Chipotle. Nothing, anybody cared. So how about Yum Brands, parent of Pizza Hut, KFC, and Taco Bell? While Chipotle owns all of its stores, Yum is heavily franchised. Hey, how about the difference? I think that the difference is Chipotle's better tasted. Also, let's see if they're having the same success finding workers at Chipotle. Thursday? Remember, I like the oils. It's ConocoPhillips. All right. Um, all right. Well, maybe we switch the date there. Uh, I, I, I like ConocoPhillips. I think it'll be fabulous with a good balance of natural gas and crude. As I've said before, I'm always on the lookout for situations where commodity costs are peaking because more supply has come online. The most logical place to look is a company called Westrock. OK, they make paperboard. Uh, and there's no industry more willing to put up new factories to change, just to be able to chase demand than the paper industry. I know that. My father was in it for, for, for 60 years. J-Pal, listen up. When paper peaks, you know we're going to get inflation under control. If it hasn't peaked, well, it's your ballgame. You want the most consistent earner for the week? The one that's going to be the best? It's going to be Zoetis. Why? Well, it's healthcare company, pet healthcare. I can't believe how well this company's run, spun off by Pfizer nine years ago. I think CEO Kristen Peck will put up great numbers. You really have to buy something into the down 3% that I expect here? Go for Zoetis. Thursday morning, Shopify. I just mentioned because it it's been cut in half. Truly plummeted. Online fulfillment expert for small, medium-sized businesses. Pigeonholed as a lockdown company. Not true. It's a company for all seasons. But nobody believes me anymore about that stuff. Even a great quarter might not matter, being a little cynical. Remember how I said that Airbnb was one of the few companies that's gotten through this period of flying colors? Well, the other one is DoorDash. Okay, Tony Shu. People love to eat at home and they buy their own liquor rather than paying through the nose for drinks at my former restaurant and every other restaurant. But the standard is high these days, so if DoorDash doesn't beat handily, it's a lookout below. Oh, and then me again, kind of in the way I am right now, a little raw. Friday, Under Armour, and all I can say is Lulu's crushing them and says stay away. I'm going to listen because it's a homework-oriented, but Lulu's a good stock to buy into the weakness. I like the oil pipelines, too. Enbridge, my favorite, has got a real nice yield. They can afford to raise it. They're down there in the Gulf. Looks real good. Finally, let's not forget that we're going to have some number that everybody's going to interpret, interpret as negative except for me because we're going to be so far down that it's going to look up to me. It's possible the job numbers will have peaked. Because companies that hired extra workers so they'd be covered during the worst days of the pandemic have started to let them go. Go listen to the Amazon call. That'd be very good news for a stock market that's terrified or of inflation. More on that later. Do you know if Putin didn't have nukes and China wasn't stupid enough to close down the country? You know what this market would look like, which is why it's very difficult to leave it. Bottom line, 
I am so glad April's over. Michael in Arizona. Michael. Jimmy, how are you doing? I don't know. I don't know. This was a bad month. Uh, try brutal. That's uh, right. Brutal quarter. Yeah, I even ate a lot of peanuts. They look fat. What's up? I'll try to be as concise as possible. I wanted your feedback. Um, the stock has beaten estimates 10 straight quarters, has impressive free cash flow, actually makes money, P.E. of 45, forward P.E., low 20s. Uh, just entered Japan, Brazil, Australia, now access to additional half billion people. I think they're over-focused with the monthly average users, which I think is stabilized and is actually going to go up in the next um, 12 months All moving right. forward. What's your take long-term on Pinterest? I think that PayPal should buy Pinterest. I say that because when PayPal walked away from Pinterest, the stock then dropped 200 points. I think a merger with PayPal and Pinterest makes a ton of sense here. They got to start merging. You can't just have all these companies out there. It's just too much like 2000, April 14 of 2000. Bob in Massachusetts. Bob. Jim. Bob. I'm honored to talk to the best in the business. Yeah, if I were the best, I would have told everyone to sell everything. But you know what? I appreciate the comments. What's up? But, Jim, you are definitely the GOAT. Of Wall Street. Really? Thank you, man. Thank uh, you. Thank I, you. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I prefer and have invested in two best of breed defense stocks over the last several years, and I'm up 26% on each. That's nice. I, I would like to know if you like either one or prefer one or the other. And they are Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman. Okay, now, I, I like your style. I like how much you've made. I know Takelet. So, I, you know, what I do is I gravitate toward the guy who I like, uh, Jim Takelet, who runs Lockheed Martin, who's Air Force pilot. He, he's sensational. I, I think LMT is a great, great company. Will you look at this? And I'm supposed to have fun tonight? I'm so glad this miserable month April's over. I think next week should be a little bit better. I think I think next the next few minutes will be better. Oh, because the month's over. On oh, man tonight, Warehouse had its strongest first quarter on record. So can the timber company continue to build profits? I'm checking in with the CEO of a very well-run company. Then Elliott Management has its sights set on Suncor. So could the activist firm's plans be what the soil company needs for sustained growth? The stock hadn't done anything. I'm going to think of the action. And with cases rising, is it time for the U.S. to adjust its COVID? Strategy? Full strategy? I'm talking to an expert in the field. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, 
a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. As everybody seemingly gets dragged down by inflation, we've seen fewer and fewer consistent winners, but they do exist. They're the companies that benefit from inflation. Take Weyerhaeuser. That's the real estate investment trust that owns vast swaths of timberland and is one of the largest manufacturers of wood products in North America. While sky-high lumber prices are a millstone around the neck of the economy, they're a major boom for Weyerhaeuser. The company's been doing so well lately that they've paid out not one, but two special dividends since last fall, which is why you can't really look at the dividend 1.75. It's not that. Oh, my God. This thing hit a 52-week high today. How many others did that this morning? The company reported just another terrific quarter. Easily trounced the estimates. The stock ended up coming down a bit because this was very ugly tape. But you know what? At one point, it roared. Let's check in with Devin Stockfish. He is the president of Warehouse. Get a better read on the quarter and what he has said going forward. I have to tell you, I have to tell you, Devin, I am so excited. I found a stock that went up today. And I've got it. I, I have to say, you are where this company is the company that's meant for, the, meant for this moment. That's why I was so glad to have you on. Can you please explain to people why, when things kind of go wrong with inflation, maybe the greatest thing to own is land and lumber? Because it's working, isn't it? Yeah, Jim. Well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me back on. Great to get a chance to talk to you again. Well, you know, first of all, just say really proud of the team, delivered an excellent first quarter, and it's just you know, on top of a string of good quarters. And that's really all about the execution and just the, the work that my colleagues are doing all across the company. You know, in terms of, of how we're set up for, for inflation, you know, certainly uh, historically, if you look at places that you wanna be invested in a, a higher inflationary environment, land and particularly timberlands is a place that uh, historically has, has delivered in that kind of environment. And certainly, you know, we'll, we'll look to see that over time as well. But you know, regardless of what's going on with inflation, we're certainly seeing a really strong business environment for our businesses really across all three of our business segments. So really, really well set up for the year, Jim. I think people may not understand exactly how huge your business is in the Pacific. I mean, when you read through your conference call, Japan, I mean, every, like China, everyone needs what you have. We obviously are the most bountiful country other than maybe Canada with wood. Tell us Tell people how you are the cargo that goes back the other way. Yeah, that's right, Jim. And, you know, just for perspective, we are the largest private owner of Timberlands in North America. We have nearly 11 million acres in the U.S. We manage another 14 million acres across Canada under long-term license agreements. So we, we produce a lot of timber. We manufacture a lot of lumber and other wood products. As we think about the U.S., that's obviously a big market for us. But as you mentioned, we send a fair amount of our wood to Asia, Japan being really the most important of our export markets. And the Japanese market needs a lot of wood. And we've been sending a pretty fair amount of our high-quality logs 
to the Japanese market for, for decades. And that's continued to be a very strong market for us. And I think with some of the things that are going on globally and, and some of the impacts we're seeing the global fiber, fiber supply, uh, we've got a really good opportunity to continue to even grow that business in this environment. So really, really good, strong export business for us plays well into our, our footprint, our export uh, opportunities and, and what we can do for our customers really across the globe. I want people to know that when they look at what the regular yield is, that's not what's happening. You are paying some big dividends to shareholders. Yeah, that's right, Jim. And so we came out with a, a new dividend structure here over the last couple of years. And it's really premised on returning the vast majority of our cash flow back to shareholders. So we've committed to returning 75 to 80 percent of our funds available for distribution back to shareholders. And that comes via a quarterly dividend, which, by the way, we did raise in the first quarter, 5.9 percent. But the, the additional piece is really through a supplemental dividend. As you mentioned, we paid out an interim supplemental dividend last fall. We paid out another very large supplemental dividend here in Q1. And so when you look at that, that dividend yield that you might see on the ticker, that doesn't really truly reflect the magnitude of the cash flow that we're returning back to shareholders. So, yeah. you know, it really includes both the, the base as well as the supplemental. And by the way, we did return another $121 million back to shareholders through share repurchase, which is also part of our program. Now, one thing I want people to know is that you are the most sustainable company on earth. It isn't like you are just spoiling the land and nothing comes back. I want people to know what Devin Stockfish does to make it so that your company is the best possible steward of, our, of North America. Yeah, there's no question about it, Jim. And this really goes back to the early days of the company. We've been reforesting our land for over 100 years. We plant more than 130 to 150 trees every year. Uh, we harvest less than 2% of our overall acreage. So the way that we manage our land base is really about making sure that we do it sustainably so that we can, you know, continue to have those harvests for hundreds of years to come. You know, I'll note just by virtue of what we do, the way we manage forests, the wood products that we manufacture, which sequester CO2, we are the best carbon story around, I would say bar none. We sequester around 32 million metric tons of CO2 every year through our forests and our wood products. So as you say, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a better ESG story than Weyerhaeuser. No, I know. I plant a lot of trees. I planted, I planted 20,000 in Oregon. You had a big year in Oregon. And uh, we did. I, I keep bumping into you as the guy who does the most to preserve this planet. Not kidding. Devin Stockfish, who's yeah. president and CEO of Weyerhaeuser. This is WY. You want a great stock for this moment. Absolutely right what Devin said about what works. It's masterworks, it's mansions, it's land, and it's trees. That's the only thing that does well in high inflation times. We have money's back after the break. Knock, knock. The barbarians are at the gate. Find out why this billionaire might soon be singing, Oh, Canada, next. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. 
Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Look, every night I tell you there's always a bull market somewhere. And for months now, the bulls have been running in the energy space, even as the border averages get pull-outs. So far this year, the energy select sector ETF, the XLE, which is what people use, is up 35%. While the only other sector that's positive in territory is consumer staples, that's up less than 1%. Although oil and gas prices have surged to multi-year highs, some energy stocks have performed a lot better than others. Tonight, I want to highlight a relative underperformer that suddenly started to play a lot of catch-up. It's called Suncor Energy. It's a Canadian oil sands play. See, yesterday morning, we learned that Elliott Management, one of the smartest activist hedge funds on Earth, has built a large stake in Suncor, and they published an open letter to the company's board of directors. Elliott's advocating for reshuffle the board, review of the current management team, overall of operations, new capital return strategy. I'm with all these things, man. Oh, by the way, and of course, a strategic review of Suncor's non-core businesses. In other words, they want a huge shakeup. Historically, when Elliott Management wants something, they either get it or they get something equally valuable and you can coattail them. This is the firm that bought a bunch of worthless, well, I should say borderline worthless Argentine bonds. Government defaulted. Then they actually managed to seize a ship from the Argentine Navy in order to make them pay. Forget publicly traded companies. These guys pushed around entire countries. Because they've got such a good track record, Suncor stock soared yesterday, jumping more than 12% or giving back about a quarter of that in today's bloodbath. Honestly, I can't blame anyone for trying to piggyback on Elliott's involvement here. As long as you believe the price of oil can stay elevated, I bet Suncor's got a lot more room to run. And I do think it's going to be elevated, and now I'm going to tell you why. First, let's talk about how Suncor makes its money. This is an integrated oil company, like a smaller Canadian version of Chevron or Exxon. They've got oil wells, they've got refineries, they've got pipelines, they've got gas stations. But the bulk of Suncor's business comes from what's known as the Alberta oil sands, which accounts for about two-thirds of the company's adjusted funds from operations last year. Now, for a long time, nobody really cared about these oil sands because it's expensive to actually extract the oil from the sand, also not too environmental. But now that the price of crude has surged, companies like Suncor are set to deliver some truly spectacular earnings growth. They've got great leverage to the price of crude. And look, the stock market's been very aware of that fact. It's why Suncor stock is now up roughly 40% year to date. So how come Elliott wants to come in and shake things up now? Simple. Even though Suncor's business is good, Elliott's arguing that it should be doing a heck of a lot better given the monster move in oil prices. They pointed out that Suncor stock has been lagging behind its peers in the oil sand space pretty substantially. Let this picture tell the word, okay? The most damning piece of evidence, look at this chart. It shows the cumulative total return of the large cap oil producers in North America since May 2nd of 2019, which is when Suncor's current CEO, Mark Little, took over. During this period, Suncor has been the second worst performer in the group, while all the other oil, Canadian oil sands, look at these, look at these figures, you know what I mean? Wow. I mean, that's incredible. That is real underperformance. So why is Suncor lag behind its rivals? As Elliott sees, the company's been dragged down by poor execution and then a tragically terrible safety record. On the execution front, Suncor's got higher production costs than its peers, all right. And they haven't been able to lower those costs like their competitors. At the same time, Suncor's bitumen, by, uh, bitumen uh, production, that's really thick, like tar oil, has been declining over the past three years, while their biggest competitor grew production at a double-digit double clip. 
Plus, the total production has come in at or below the low end of their forecast in every year since 2019. At the very least, management does have a bit of a prediction problem. More importantly, Suncor's got a disastrous safety record. Since 2014, they've had 12 fatalities among their employees and contractors versus four for Canadian Natural Resources and one combined for Synovus and Imperial Oil, the other players. And a lot of this is recent. They had a refinery fire a month ago. They had two separate incidents in December and January that resulted in three fatalities. Whether you look at it from a financial perspective or purely human perspective, this is not a well-run enterprise, which raises the question. How does Elliott want to fix it? Well, first, they want to shake up the board by bringing in five new independent directors with real expertise in the Canadian energy industry. It's worth noting that Suncor's annual meeting is in just a couple of weeks, and Elliott hasn't actually nominated its five new independent director candidates. So there won't be an immediate proxy fight here. At this point, they're asking politely. But the subsex is clear. Elliott says they want the new board to, quote, ensure the right management in place to deliver excellence in operating and safety performance. Now, I think that's a very diplomatic way of saying let's get rid of the CEO. Although, to be crystal clear, no one at Elliott has explicitly called for him to be fired. I want to make that very clear. Always got to be clear with these guys because they're, they've got meticulous lawyers and they are meticulous. Third, Elliott wants a company-wide operational and safety overhaul because they think that that's the only way Suncor can hit its cash flow targets and, of course, earn back the trust of investors. Speaking of cash, Elliott wants them to dramatically increase their capital returns. Right now, the company takes the remaining cash flow after dividends and capex. They split it evenly between buying back stock and paying down debt. Elliott thinks the balance sheet's fine, so he'd like to see 80% of that money go into buybacks. Finally, Elliott suggests that Suncor should explore opportunities to unlock the value of high multiple assets outside of the core oil sands business, including a strategic review of retail. Translation, they should sell off the retail business. Maybe it's onshore assets in North Atlantic. So, uh, so uh, offshore assets in North Atlantic. So they can focus on what they do best. We know this strategy works because Elliott's strong arm marathon, Pete, and is selling off their retail operations. And the stock's been a huge relative outperformer amongst the refiners. Now, yesterday afternoon, Suncor responded with what I regard as a boilerplate statement about how they'll take Elliott's views into consideration and they're willing to engage with them in good faith. Okay. My view, I think the stock jumped 12% yesterday because Wall Street's confident Elliott can push Suncor's board to unlock value. Here's some free advice to Suncor's directors. Work with these guys. Okay, don't fight them. They've done a huge amount of homework. They generally works out well for shareholders, even if it might make you really uncomfortable. In the end, though, I think Suncor's future is less about this activist campaign and more about where the price of crude might be headed. If you think it's going to stay elevated, this could be just an absolutely terrific stock because the oil sands can generate tremendous earnings growth levered to the high price of oil. However, indeed, if you believe oil will peak soon and head meaningfully lower, this stock's going to be a dog and it won't matter what changes they make. Bottom line, if you're a bull in oil like I am, Suncor's got a relatively cheap stock and a terrific activist kicker. Plus, they're paying you to wait with a bountiful 3.6% yield. I like the stock here, but if I see signs that oil's definitely peaking, which I don't see now, we'll reconvene. Let's go to Frank in Ohio. Frank. Hi, my question is I have this stock now for uh, many years now, and it's been very good to me. I reinvest the dividends, but I want to purchase more stock on it. Uh, the company is Dominion Energy. Thank you. I like that energy very much. They're just a good company. I got nothing to say, nothing to say that other than good things. And I wish they'd come back on. I haven't seen them in ages, and I don't get that. Let's go to Ron in my home state of New Jersey. Ron. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. And uh, thank you for all your assistance and uh, watch your show every night. Yes. Thank and, you. Uh, wanted to know what Join you the think club. about. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I'm a member of the club. Oh, good. Uh, I 
there for uh, one a few weeks ago. You talked about high peak energy, and every night it, or every day it went up. But now it seems to be going down. I wanted to see what you think about it. Well, look, it sells at six times earnings. It's a very well-run company. It's all the way back to where I recommended it. I think you should, if you want to buy some, put half on, and then wait to see how horrible the market is on Monday, because the market could be very horrible Monday. Because it seems like the sellers today are so motivated that they know something. I actually believe stuff like that. I like Suncor Energy stock here, but if I see signs that oil's peaking, you know, we're going to be able to reconvene. There's much more man money ahead. A key policy we need to end the COVID pandemic is being ignored. I'll reveal it and what needs to be done with Dr. Michael Minna. And it looks like Fed Chief Powell caught his first break in the battle against runaway inflation from all places, Amazon. I'm discussing a key report that showcased the development. And the way calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. I know it feels like we've more or less got COVID under control, but we can't afford to take our eyes off the ball when it comes to the pandemic. Daily case counts are and are currently rising in all but six states and up more than 50 percent from just two weeks ago. I know I tested myself this morning. I've been doing it back. It's like the old days. Heck, the vice president has COVID. Ozzy Osbourne has COVID. A major company CEO that we spoke with earlier today has COVID. I mean, it hasn't gone away. But thanks to widespread vaccinations and the relatively mild nature of the latest Omicron subvariant, the mortality rate keeps falling. Still, COVID could be with us forever if we don't handle things correctly. That's why tonight we want to check back with one of the most trusted sources of our show, and that's Dr. Michael Minna. He's the epidemiologist who's the chief science officer for eMed. That's a healthcare startup that offers an, in at, an at-home COVID test where you can not only get your results within minutes, you can also get set up with a telemedicine appointment if you test positive, which means that you can get COVID treatments without going to a clinic, potentially infecting others. Dr. Minna, welcome back to Med Money. Well, thanks so much. Happy to be here. All right, doctor. Is it true that there are hundreds of thousands of doses of a drug called Paxlovid, which saves lives sitting at pharmacies and people who need them aren't getting them? Uh, It's certainly true that we have now, despite a limited supply chain, we have an abundance of these doses sitting at pharmacies. Meanwhile, we have thousands of people continuing to die every week from COVID. And so that tells us that there is a problem with Americans getting access to these life-saving treatments on time. Would any of these people have to die? Well, we know that the the treatments themselves have, for for people who can get them, they have a 90% efficacy to prevent hospitalization. So nine out of 10 people who end up in the hospital, if they were treated, would not have ended up going to the hospital and certainly not dying. So so we know that these, these treatments are being underutilized. We know that people are dying unnecessarily at the moment because the treatments are not getting to where they need to be. All right. So tell our viewers what should happen and what can happen if you take advantage of people like you who know this system really well. We're really accurate about all the things that you told me dead right since the pandemic. What can they do to make it so that they can be one of the people who doesn't go to the hospital? Look, we know that people don't want to leave their home, especially when they're sick. They don't want to spend the time to go and get tested at a medical clinic or a facility or a VA hospital so that they can get treatment. So they're waiting. 
So the best thing that people can do, and that frankly the government can do, is to develop an at-home test to treat program. It's something that we've done at EMED where you can actually use an EMED enabled test at home. And if you're positive, you get immediately brought through a telemedicine visit and you get a prescription all for free. We don't ask people to pay for any of that. Uh, they pay for the test up front, or in most cases, actually states and governors have been purchasing it for their constituents. And this to me is the most accessible way for individuals to be able to get treated on time by taking the test the morning you wake up with scratchy throat, you take a test, it's positive, you get brought through a telemedicine visit automatically, and you get prescribed a medicine like the Pfizer or Merck drug all in under an hour. You could be on your treatment in three hours from the time you wake up. This is how we really change the tides of this pandemic. We make this a virus that we start beating that even if you're vulnerable, you don't need to worry as much if you know that you have ready access to these life-saving medicines. Well, right now what you do, if you, you get all baffled, you don't know where to go, then you end up being at a, at a drugstore, you infect everybody, it starts all over again. This is insane what's happening. It is. I mean, we, we have these treatments and we know, I mean, my own family has called me up saying, I'm COVID positive. My 96-year-old grandfather recently was in a nursing home and his physicians didn't know how to treat him, how to even order the drug. And there's just been so much confusion. So what we've tried to do with EMED is just massively streamline it. So anyone, regardless of how literate or not literate you are in the medical space, can figure it out, can immediately get tied into telemedicine and treatment without having to be an expert on knowing what websites to go to that the government hosts to tell you where exactly the drugs are and all these things which are really creating major barriers because there's just so much confusion, uh, not just amongst the individuals, but amongst the prescribing physicians too about how to deal with their COVID positive patients. Wow. I mean, it is breathtaking because we do have this. We had a, have, we had this Pfizer medicine in December. It, there's been it's a total disconnect until you've come along with what you have. Dr. Michael Minna, chief science officer of EMED, who first told me exactly what was going to happen with this pandemic when he was a, 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 in, in academia uh, and was 100 percent right. And, and we got to solve this. And he can help do it. Man, money's back there for the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time. It's 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 time. Hi, Jim. Thank you. Uh, I was calling about Johnson Control. I used to watch it when I was a teenager, and it was always at around 97, but now it's down to the 60s, and I want to know if it's still good to invest It is. In. We just did a big analysis of it. It's just very cheap on the way we study stocks the best. It's just too low. Tracy and Oregon. Tracy. Hey, booyah, Jim. Booyah, Tracy. Booyah, Jim. Shipper Star Bolt's variable dividend policy has pushed the dividend 24%. So two questions. First, given demand for coal and grain versus decline in metals if China slows, 
if Starbucks' dividend remained even in the mid I, I, I think that the dividend, no, the way it, look, the way in this stock is priced, the dividend is going to be cut. I don't know if that's the case. I would say that this is uh, what I almost would call too good to be true. Let's go to Bob in Maryland. Bob. Hey, thank you, Mr. Kramer. I got to say up front, this senior who came from a blue-collar background and became a college professor, my wife and I retired with multi-generational wealth because of your great leadership. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm proud to be a club member. Uh, Uh, What do you think of Prince? What do you think of Principal Financial Group, PFG, now that it's uh, broken away from Wells Fargo is completed? You know, I think that they're okay, guys. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they'll set the world on fire, but they're okay. But I will say this. You set me on fire. Your comments are going to get me through this whole weekend. Thank you. Let's go to Scott in California. Scott. Booyah, Jim. How are you doing today? I am doing well. How about you? A uh, bit of a bloodbath. Yes. Hey, I need your... Um, I've been watching Pitney Bowes for the last five, six years. I don't get it. Are they dead or alive? Uh, Everything they try seems to not fail. Look, that guy Laudenberg, he's a smart guy, but everything he tries seems to fail. I didn't see a little spike here in the stock, but I'm not, you know, I don't say I'm not a disbeliever. I'm just saying it ain't working. How about Amos in California? Amos. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Uh, I bought accumulated around 4,000 shares of Pacific Gas and Electric stock, PCG, and I was wondering, moving forward, what your opinion was. I want you to cut it in half. I don't like them. Uh, I like the yielders. I like the APs. I like the Dominions. Cut that in half. Take the profit. Move on with that money. Alex in Washington. Alex. Alex, speak to me. Alex seems to have suffered from the same thing that's happening with the stock market. Let's, should we go maybe to uh, is this Stephen in Texas? Stephen. Joseph in California. Company is Pickers Olin, O-L-N. Which one? Olin. Oh, Olin. Okay, Olin. I, my friend Frank Mitch, who's a huge Jet fan, put out a really interesting piece about it. And uh, kind of gave you a sense that maybe it's worth buying. I'm going to tell you to stick with Dow Chemical. I like the yield. I think Jim Fitterling's really a fabulous Fabulous guy. Now, maybe we go to Stephen in Texas. I'm a little confused here today. Stephen. Hey, Jim. Yeah. Uh, STLD, buy more, hold, right calls. Um, well, I don't like the right calls because then you cap your upside. They're good. New course better. Uh, new course had a very big run. Don't want you plunging right now. Marsha in Washington. Marsha. Thank you, Jim. Hi. I am an interested... I mean, I'm interested in the Rite Aid stocks. And, no, uh, you got to go with Best of Breed. Best of Breed is CVS. They'll report this week. We do not buy spec. We buy Best of Breed. And that, ladies the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Big Bad Amazon may have just given Jay Powell a much-needed assist. Kramer's got the details. Next. Fed Chief Jay Powell finally caught his first break in the battle against runaway inflation. It comes from the company that's done more to keep prices down than any other aside from Costco. Let's talk about Amazon. 
which is moving to right-size its workforce after a period of rapid hiring. Amazon stock got hammered today, down 14%, because there's a lot of negative talk about costs in that conference call. For many investors, it now has to prove that it can get those costs under control, especially with regard to its workforce. Amazon may have to automate even more aggressively. Who knows how they can do that, because they're pretty automated. Uh, But most importantly, they've got to figure out how to downsize a decent chunk of its 1.6 million employees. So what does that have to do with J-PAL? Simple. When a company with 1.6 million workers starts laying people off, the reverberations are massive. Amazon's not doing this because there's not enough demand. We own this one for the Chapel Trust and have forever, in part because the company's still signing up millions of users for Prime. We rang the register on a ton of Amazon for the trust not long ago, but we'll buy it back if it goes much lower than this. Down 20% is where I'm looking. I mean, it can get there, too, believe me. We get down here. I'll switch directions from what I sold up here. But to get back on track, Powell and his buddies at the Fed are getting a real break because Amazon's a bellwether. They staffed up for Omicron, and now that COVID is no longer such a big threat to the workforce, they can staff down. I don't think CFO Brian Olsofsky, who, by the way, is so smart, would have even bothered to mention the term right-sizing on the conference call if he wasn't planning on sizable layoffs. As I see it, Amazon, like many other companies, had to bring in a ton of redundant employees to cope with the pandemic because they couldn't afford for their operations to shut down if someone got sick. As we get over the pandemic, they can afford to let those people without let them go without jeopardizing your delivery times. Now, I don't know how many other firms deliberately overstaffed to meet demand when COVID was raging, but I'm sure Amazon's not alone. And think about this. Think about all the truck drivers that now can be let go, the warehouses that can, contracts don't need to be renewed. Uh, these are these were all in short supply, but maybe the pricing for all of them will come down, too. It's not all doom and gloom out there, even if the Nasdaq had its worth months since 2008, and people pretty much are giving up. That's what I said to the Robin of people today. I said, come on, guys. And here's where Powell gets his break. Amazon's not just a disruptive force in American retail. It's also been a disruptive force in the labor market with its incredibly aggressive hiring, taking from all over the country. They've made in part the labor to labor so tight. If the company now has too many people, that could relieve a ton of the tightness in the labor market, meaning perhaps a peak in wage inflation. Yes, Amazon has to be thinking that there might be some sort of hiring peak developing, and that could be a very big deal for the Fed. Now, look, you never want to celebrate layoffs, but we have the lowest unemployment rate since the 60s, and employers all over the country can't find enough staff. If big companies start laying people off, there will be a new pool of available talent, simply because Omicron is no longer a threat to their performance. Now, we've been wondering where all the workers went. I mean, a lot of people call it the Great Resignation. Maybe we should have called it the Great Duplication. Because duplication is exactly what companies like Amazon needed to get through the worst days of the pandemic. I always like to root for the workers. By the way, I was a member of two different unions. But if we see more layoffs, that means the Fed won't have to raise interest rates as aggressively, which could ultimately result in less damage to the economy. And believe it or not, after today, the stock market. But in the medium term, we need so many different things to go right in order for Powell to be able to engineer a soft landing. I think Amazon's talk of right sizing its workforce is exactly what the Fed needs to help start hitting the brakes on wage inflation. In the end, COVID was a job suck. That job suck is ending. And if what's happening at Amazon holds true across the rest of the economy, then we might be a lot closer to killing inflation than you might think. And maybe the stock market will stop, say, down 20 percent, where they don't have to be as hard on it because a lot of people are going to spend less anyway. 
I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.